When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the Underdog Dynasty AAC Podcast Edition. Uh, this is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. And we are here to go over the week one of the American Athletic Conference season. Uh, not a great week one, all things considered, for the conference. A few losses that you really shouldn't have taken. A couple losses that are a little bit bigger than you would have liked to have seen. Uh, but the bigger news immediately is that three of the key teams in the conference look like they may be getting a bid to the Big 12 as soon as, well, September 10th, which is this upcoming Friday. Uh, that's according to reports from everywhere from Sports Illustrated to The Athletic, you know, everywhere. Uh, and they'd be going along with BYU, who's an independent, a little bit easier for them to move along. But it does put the conference in a tough spot. Uh, you know, UCF Cincinnati are obviously the two top teams by most people's accounts, maybe SMU, depending on who you ask in the conference right now. Houston's a huge financial source for it. And these are, it would be a huge blow just to that power six idea that really wouldn't be there anymore. That perception would be gone. The AAC would likely have to then turn around and expand itself. Emily, do you have any thoughts immediately about it? What all it means? I mean, I'm not, I, we've been asked so much about conference realignment, like over the course of the last few weeks, starting at big 10 media day. And you get the same response when you talk to the coaches, like they don't, they're not looking I mean, they're obviously keeping an eye on it, especially head coaches, but like, there's nothing they can do about it. And so, you know, there's nothing we could do about it. It's not happening for two years. Uh, That would be like the earliest that we'd see the actual realignment go into effect. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know. I've been, I'm so focused on this season and, and what's in front of us. It's so difficult to sit here and speculate about the future when we really don't know what the future holds for the, for NCAA sports in general. So and that's completely fair. I think that's how a lot of people tend to feel about uh, mm-hmm. conference realignment talk after a little while. And during the summer, it did get to be kind of fan fiction for a while. Everyone kind of like <laughs> picking and choosing their perfect conferences. I tend to love it though. There's something about <laughs> that makes is right now. So the way it would break down now, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, those are the three AAC teams they'd be in. They'd have to pay a $10 million buyout to the conference each. So it's $30 million. That's so much money. Can I just say that I, if I was a fan of certain schools and they were going to spend that kind of money on something other than maybe better facilities, better, you know, Hmm. care for student athletes, better stuff like that. I might be a little bereft at the fact that $10 million is going just so they can move elsewhere and maybe get more money coming in and maybe be a bigger, you know, deal, but maybe not. I think you only do it with the expectation that you're getting more money annually than but that. You don't know that. But, like, unless that's, that's inked in, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm but, not, you're trading 10 million for, you don't know what. Well, you're we'll trading see. 10 million right now. The big 12 is a 20 something million dollar media deal. That's going to go down when Texas and Oklahoma leave. But the idea of adding the four teams that they're adding BYU is included in that is to get that number up as high as possible. So I, I mean, I'm not an economist. I'm not a media, you know, viewership expert by any means. But right. the teams they chose aren't necessarily talent-based. They're 
well, it's partially success based, but it's very much also market based and how big right. of a market they're the largest is. market sizes. So yes. this would, you know, although they have BYU down in Salt Lake City, which it's in Provo. And yeah, that's that's a little weird, but I think BYU I don't love because that. of their uh, BYU because of them what they are as a school, and that by that I do mean they're a Mormon school, so they've got a very national appeal for anyone of that faith similar in a way to how Notre Dame has some Catholic appeal, though not nearly to the same degree. Yeah. I think BYU is a little bit different. They also are a little bit easier to get to come along. I was surprised <laughs> Boise State wasn't included in this, to be honest. But uh, Boise is a smaller market, and that's what it yeah. comes down to. You know, yeah. Memphis doesn't get to come along. Memphis isn't the same market that Orlando or Houston is, unfortunately mm-hmm. for them, and they're getting left behind in it. Uh like I said, I do believe the AAC is going to need to expand itself now. Who do you get for that? You will, Again, you look at markets. You look at who's investing in facilities, a UAB, a UTSA from Conference USA, an App State, maybe a New Georgia Southern or Georgia State type school. You know, That's going to be who it's going to be coming into the conference, that type of team, maybe a Marshall. But that's all, like I just mentioned, it's all fan fiction speculation right now to yeah. try to guess. They would be joining the conference, the Big 12 does, by like 2024 at the latest in 2023 by the earliest, depending on how everyone does the buyouts and the legal maneuvering. Yeah. But it does, as of now, mean that UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston would be in the same conference as Texas and Oklahoma briefly, which is a nice little crossover event that would not be awkward at all. Um, and yeah, that's most of what I had to say about it. I just did feel we needed to touch on it, just given the magnitude of the impact to the conference it has. It is going to mean that the conference has to renegotiate its TV deal, likely for less money with ESPN. Uh, you know, all of that's going to impact everyone. And yeah. I would also just want to point out how good I was about not mentioning that USF blocked UCF from joining the Big East for years. Mm-hmm. And then got left behind twice now when UCF is not being left behind this time. I'd be, I didn't say it. I didn't talk <laughs> about it at all. I was very good about that. You can't call me anything. <laughs> uh, okay. But, but we had real games to talk about. And that's more important, I think, right now for the immediate, mm-hmm. you know, what happened week one. You went to one of those games. You went to Tulane, Oklahoma. Tell me I about did. It. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was an incredible experience. Um, Oklahoma did, I have to say they did a fantastic job opening up, you know, their doors to the, you know, the Tulane team that had to basically pick up and leave. And they thought they were leaving for a couple of days, a week at the most. I talked to some of the guys and the coaches, you know, this weekend and they packed little to nothing because they thought they'd be gone for a little while. And now we're hearing that they're going to play one more game, you know, at UAB um, before they head back finally. So it'll be weeks, you know, a couple of weeks before they get back, but they were, they looked and sounded great heading into the game. They were excited. Um, The game itself was interesting. You know, I, I think we were hoping to see a little more from Pratt from Michael Pratt, the two lane quarterback. Um, I had been hearing, you know, all these reports that he looked more confident. And I guess I chalked that up to first game. He settled in, you know, and and he got there. But I mean, for me, Michael Pratt looked really good on the first two scripted drives. And, you know, that's how Chip Long likes to do it. He scripts the first two drives out. And Mm -hmm. in the second quarter, he couldn't hold on to the football for the life of him. And I think he was 
I think he was which is kind right. of important for a quarterback. It so. is. I think he was just rattled in that second quarter, though, and he regrouped. And like you said, that second half was good for him. It was a good yeah. Second half. It was. Um, he he did look like he got his bell rung, but they did the concussion protocol. The weird thing about uh, this particular stadium is um, their visiting locker room. And I don't know if people know this, but the Oklahoma visiting locker room is very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the team, actually half of the team was out in the, like, where they come off of the field. There's like this underground, you know, area down there under the stadium where some fans come through and it's like a concourse down there. Mm-hmm. And they were out on the concourse with the whiteboards in their position groups doing their halftime speech, which I have That's never so seen. Weird. It was so weird. And, and well, you know, the Oklahoma, I, I spoke to their security and their police and they said, we let them know that, that fans would be walking through, you know, people would be going around and stuff. And they just, they wanted to make sure they had space because of COVID for protocols mm-hmm. and just like space from each other. And I felt bad for the guys a little bit because they, the locker room's air conditioned and they were out here in like the heat and yes, they're in the shade and stuff, but it was so hot. I'm talking a hundred degrees, so mm-hmm. hot on that field. So, and I think you could see that a little bit in the offense. You know, they were very tired. I was surprised how well the defense did though. I mean, the defense was phenomenal against Oklahoma. Yeah, they made Spencer Rattler look very whatever. They had him confused. He was not reading that defense well no. at all. He uh, and I don't think he's that good, as good as people say to begin with, especially I, I now think, that I've seen him. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen him play in person, yeah. uh, which you obviously have, and that's a completely different feel getting a guy on TV versus in person. But yeah, whatever. whenever I put on an Oklahoma game, it looks like he has too much blind faith in his own talent, and he doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily – read the defense all the way through he kind of sort of picks and chooses his spots before the play happens yeah it's never a great thing but I got every person in the press box I cannot tell you how many times I heard the word Heisman frontrunner those words uttered by writers and Oklahoma people covering it was like every five seconds and I I literally was like am I am I taking crazy pills because I don't see what y'all see in this first off it's week one there is no Heisman (laughs) frontrunner in week one let's just be honest with ourselves we can take guesses and second off, if there was, it's Bryce Young at Alabama because he absolutely <laughs> embarrassed Miami and he looked really good doing it. And whatever, Alabama's good again. Who would have thought it? Uh, <laughs> something I mentioned about the concourse thing was something I mm-hmm. noticed. Uh, we're recording on Monday just so that people, I, I don't know if people care about that, but I'm going to talk <laughs> about the Notre Dame, Florida State game. Notre Dame had a tight end who got injured in that game. And I saw mm-hmm. photos where they had him on a cart going through the concourse with fans yeah. all around, just like staring at him. Because I think it's probably just one of the features of older stadiums that they don't have the space that a modern facility should have. It must be. It, w- it was part COVID, they told me, and it was part just, you know, they're just smaller rooms and such. And Tulane had a big team there with a lot of staff. So it was kind of weird, but we were, it was amazing to see them almost come back and win that. They're one yard short on that Pratt rush. They weren't they even, get, a, that wasn't even a yard. It was a half I, yard. It was very, very close. So, but you love to see Willie Fritz put some fight in there and go for it and do like that's the kind of fight that has won him games against Houston on Thursday nights and other big things so um they were obviously disappointed but I think there was a lot of good and people were surprised although not us obviously because we knew how good Tulane was but a lot of people nationally were like okay so this team is for real there's a lot of talent so Mm -hmm. I have to shout out my boy Will Wallace for his touchdown I love Mm -hmm. Chip Long's tandem tight end packages. Yep. I love it so much. They have, Tyreek James and Will Wallace are the premier tight end duo right now, in my opinion. They're so good. And there's so much room for growth. 
Um, and the other shout out I want to give is to the Oklahoma fans themselves. They actually cheered for Tulane as they came off the field, told them good job, you know, and mm-hmm. thanked them for coming. And, and oh, I thought yeah. that was such a, a oh. graceful thing. As a program, top to bottom, Oklahoma was incredibly classy throughout this whole yeah. very difficult experience. You know, uh, you know, we've seen hurricanes in the past where teams have had issues with them, where it's gotten ugly between fan bases and between mm-hmm. administrators, even where it just wasn't a professional relationship that they kept up. And I think about what happened between Florida and LSU a couple of years back, where uh, they were basically barking at each other through the administrator's offices about, oh, you're scared to play us and back and forth. <laughs> and it was just the silliest thing. Uh, so, so I was very, I was very yeah. happy to see the way Oklahoma handled it. Yeah. They were completely, well, they're completely professional and completely they were. kind they, and thoughtful about everything. They let them have the ticket sales. They let them retain the home team. They got to wear the baby blues. They painted their logo on the field, which was oh, so yeah. incredible. It's- and it was, I'll tell you the funniest story that happened though. And, and then I'm, that's the last thing I have, but an Oklahoma student was able to sneak down onto the field during the game, pretending to be a grad assistant coach. Mm-hmm. He managed to stay there for the whole first half almost. And I saw him get escorted off and then written up and then escorted out of the stadium where he's no longer welcome. And I know he gets a fine and whatnot. I talked to security. I said, that's so weird. Is that like a a common thing? And they told me that that happens once a game at least. Is that not crazy? (laughs) That is. is, The first time I ever had media credentials where I could be on the field for a game, Mm -hmm. I felt so much like I was just doing something wrong and it was getting away. Everyone's looking at you. I felt so out of place. So it was the Cure Bowl a couple of years ago. And like to get onto the field there because I was in a press, an auxiliary press box. Mm -hmm. I had to like literally like walk up to the edge of this like field, uh, just like flash my credentials to a security guard and hop over the wall. And I just, people were just like staring at me. I'm like, this feels incorrect. This guy didn't even have a credential. He literally was dressed in a polo and khaki shorts. Like he just finessed his way down there pretending he was a coach. So I I was dying. I was like, I guess (laughs) if you're Oklahoma and you have a hundred grad assistants, you can sneak in. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, they're going to rethink that. But anyways, that was a funny thing for me. But all around a great game. I think we're going to see a lot of good things from Tulane this year. So, 100% agree. Uh, let's double back to Thursday night now. Yes. Uh, Thursday night was not the best night for the conference there's ever been. No. Uh, that started, I'm going to hold off on the one game they won. The, that is the AAC one until last because that finished at about 2 a.m. So it feels like we should go last on the Thursday night games at least. (laughs) Okay. I am going to start with Tulsa losing to UC Davis though. Tulsa was in the conference championship game last year. UC Davis plays in the Big Sky Conference, which is of course an FCS conference. That cannot happen. I loved it though. I'm sorry. Like I know, I know it's bad and it's terrible, but seeing a team like Davis, which if people remember, I did say in our preview podcast, they do upset teams in the first games of the year. They did it to Stanford. They've done it to people in the past. And I was like, I would not sleep on this game if I were Tulsa. Yeah. And it it was (laughs) tough. Uh, You know, they, they were missing so many guys. I mean, that's, that's the other thing too. Yeah. UC Davis threw for over 300 yards on Tulsa secondary. Mm -hmm. That was a concern I think I've mentioned a hundred times on this podcast with <laughs> Tulsa coming into this year. You know, you lose your top two corners. That's a concern. And yeah. that did nothing to alleviate that concern. <laughs> uh, Davis Bryn uh, did not look comfortable playing quarterback to me. Mm-hmm. It looked like his feet were never quite set. And he was always, he was more aware of the pass rush than which receivers were going to be open, which I guess you have to have an awareness of both. 
but you need to not let that pass rush affect how you throw the ball. I felt that he was letting it affect him throughout the game. Uh, I also thought Tulsa did not run the football nearly enough. Uh, their top two running backs, Narek Prince and Shamari Brooks, were basically a combined 24 carries for, what is it? My math is terrible, 231 yards. They were running through them like butter. Uh, Prince in particular yeah. had 14 carries for 151 yards. He, he should have had at least 20 carries and you probably should have given another five to Brooks too. And yeah. I think you probably win that game if you're just committed to the run because they did win that line of scrimmage battle, but they didn't. And mm-hmm. here we are. Uh, it's a bad look. There's a, you got to go to Oklahoma state next week and Ohio state after that. Oof, it yeah. doesn't feel like it's going to be a good start for Tulsa. No. Uh, I don't come here to like talk about the guy's job, but that's a tough spot for Philip Montgomery, who I thought had built up a little bit more momentum than that. I think everybody thought that given how they'd done. And, and, but again, I really think the suspensions carrying over from last year were not helpful. And I didn't realize just how many guys were going to miss time in the game and then how that affects them mentally. And so yeah. I don't know. I, it, it, kill, it kills the rhythm to your first yeah. game. It does. But I mean, there's a lot of big sky teams that beat uh, FBS teams, Eastern Washington, mm-hmm. Montana. They both won Montana. State, Montana state only lost by three to uh, Wyoming. Yeah. It was a weird weekend for FCS wins. Uh, I love it. I love the chaos. So. So, so do I, I just need it to not have affect the <laughs> reputation of the conference something else that won't help the reputation of the conference this year is the usf bulls zero mm-hmm. to 45 against nc state yeah and it could have been a lot worse i have a couple things to say about the coaching <laughs> staff and we knew they were going to lose this game we yeah, did we did we did i didn't think they were going to lose by 45 i thought it was going to be closer to 20 to 30. i didn't think they wouldn't score i mean i yeah. never assume a team is going to go in and not score at all so i I thought Jeff Scott's decision to pull Cade Ford in so early in the game mm-hmm. and then go back to him at the end of the game for some reason. Weird. Was ter- I thought it was terrible. Mm-hmm. I think you need to let a guy play the game and get into a rhythm. If he's your quarterback out of the camp, allow him to be your quarterback out of the camp. I certainly don't agree with putting Timmy McLean, a true freshman, in there. And just but to be fair, play. I thought he looked – I liked – he was 7 for 13, 126 yards. Not great, but, like, I liked how That's he looked at times. Two interceptions. I no, just, of course, Spencer Rattler I, threw the two interceptions. Okay, so yeah, people throw Spencer, interceptions. What else did Spencer Rattler do? He didn't go seven for fourteen. Otherwise, no. But uh, as a freshman QB, I think I was like he could have gone in and thrown none yards. He could have not completed a pass, but at least he went in and did something. Do you know what I mean? Yes and no. I think my, my complaint isn't necessarily with McLean. I think that it's not his fault what happened. Yeah. I think he I think he did show some sparks that have potential. I don't believe in throwing a freshman quarterback to the Wolves if you don't have something around him. He it's didn't one have thing a say to play, in that and I he know, did the best with what he could. So. But it's like it's one thing when the when UCF put in Dylan Gabriel and he had a good team around him. It's one thing when Cincinnati put in Desmond Ritter and he had a good team around him. You know, uh, we're gonna talk about Memphis in a little bit. They played a freshman mm-hmm. quarterback too, and it was against an FCS school with a pretty good team around him. This was not that situation. I think you let Cade Ford and get into a rhythm and let your freshman quarterback learn a little bit instead of putting him into a game that's just a little bit too fast for him, even if he's got a lot of natural ability. Uh, There's other little coaching things throughout the game that I just, I thought were going to be cleaned up. You know, there's one time on one play, they got called for having two guys on the field with the same number on, (laughs) you know, and those are things that's all on the coaching staff at the end of the day. And it's just stuff that should never happen. It's the second year now. There's no excuses for that. 
Uh, it's the yeah. second year we thought with the full offseason practice and proper practice that it would look a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Uh, Charlie Weiss Jr., I do not think is the dude at offensive coordinator. It has not looked good once under him, basically. I just, yeah. I don't have any positives to take away from it. My only positive was that I loved the little frosh QB doing doing his best. That was it. That was my only note for the game. So. Yeah, and that's, unfortunately, Yes. that's such a tiny little note. Um, well, you know what? It's better than nothing. I need you to snap out of the negativity, Dan. I, I, need I you refuse to be positive. I refuse because I'm about to talk about ECU football. Oh, no. <laughs> and I didn't is, get to watch this game, unfortunately. I watched it I was, twice. Oh, no. Uh, I watched it partially because I was uh, I was at a bar on Thursday night with some friends, okay. and it was nice. on there. Then I went home and watched, like, actually watched it properly because I had recorded the game to watch. Um, I thought App State on offense was just a very well-oiled machine. Chase mm-hmm. Price was better than I've ever seen him before, and he wasn't great, but the running game for App State was excellent, which I think we all expected it to be. All in all, I don't think 33 points is a bad result for me CU's defense, to be honest. That's an mm-hmm. improvement from a lot of games they had last year, especially against a very good offense like that. It, it was what I thought they were going to be, which is a, you know, a front seven that struggles against the run, and a secondary mm-hmm. that you know every now and again got left out to dry, but has a lot of talent there. And they were better than they were last year on defense. My issue is Holton Ehlers was not better than he was last year at quarterback. He mm-hmm. was still inconsistent. He was having balls batted down. He didn't look super comfortable in the pocket or super aware in the pocket. The numbers look fine. 295 with two touchdowns is a solid day, but that's on barely 50% completion percentage. Yeah. You know, love the wide receiver still at ECU. The running backs are incredibly young. It's the same old, same old on the nothing new with ECU for me, unfortunately, which is I saw things I liked. It looks like they're improving and they're still losing by double digits. Yeah. You know. It's not a, it's not great, but I, I my only note for this was, that they're, you know, young team, they'll have a high bounce back factor, I believe. So mm-hmm. you chalk it up to playing, you know, your first game against a, a good team, a better team than I thought App State would come together to be for their first game. So mm-hmm. have to look ahead for ECU and that's all you can that's, do. ECU next week has South Carolina where they are the Vegas favorite. I'm actually really excited for that game. I'm excited to talk to South Carolina's um, offensive line coach later today or tomorrow. So get some insight on that. I'm excited to see what South Carolina has going on at quarterback, to be honest, because that's a little bit of a a weird situation there. But yeah, as it was though, ECU 19, App State 33, tough game. Would have Mm -hmm. liked to have seen it be a little bit closer. Would have liked to have seen a win. Uh, Then we get to what was supposed to be the premier game of Thursday night for all of college football and certainly for the AAC. And I think it did turn out to be, it just had like a three hour lightning delay to get there. Mm -hmm. And that was Boise state UCF. That's Boise state 31 UCF 36. Uh, It was 21, nothing at one point in this game for Boise. Uh, Dylan Gabriel went down the field, marched that team down the field to start the game and threw a terrible pick six. Like it was a wide open wide receiver would have been. It was bad. He looked bad. And on that one throw, he looked bad. I thought he looked pretty good overall. He looked bad periodically on different, on different plays, like on different Mm -hmm. series. He was too inconsistent. He would look bad. Then he'd look good. Then he'd look bad. And he'd look good. I think that's not what you need. No, I know. And it was his first day in the Gus Malzahn, like first real game in the Gus Malzahn offense. And I wonder how much that his first day at quarterback though. Come on now. (laughs) <laughs> it's a new offense he's been know. playing quarterback for his whole life i'm assuming yeah and like i said that pick six throw was a terrible throw it yeah. was if he threw that with any amount of lob to it it's a touchdown and said it went the other way 
There was uh, a couple of throws like that where I was literally like, has he played quarterback before? Well, again, the trick that you have to remember with Bill and Gabriel, and I think he's mm-hmm. going to be fine. Spathoon Cookman next week for UCF, they'll win that going away. Yeah. Um, and he'll get a little bit more time to adjust into the offense. He has had to throw two routes basically for the past two years with Josh Heupel. So this is his first live game action where he has to like really process a defense after the snap has occurred. You know what I mean? That sucks because that's such a disservice to him as a player mm -hmm. to not give him those tools and that ability to actually play quarterback by looking at another team's defense. But yeah, but under Hypo, it was basically basically go routes, a comeback route or a screen pass. And oftentimes only one side of the field was running around the wide receivers on the other side would just stand still. Like just, that's, That's what Hypo's offense is, though. Uh, so he really – and the read was, you know, how many guys are in the box before the play starts and whether he's yeah. going to hand off or throw it. So they're really – this was his first game, and Boise State is a good team where he had to go out and read a defense post-snap. And I thought for the most part he was very good. Bethune-Cookman will be a little bit of a get-out-the-kinks game. But uh, I, I was not unhappy with his performance. I was unhappy with a couple individual throws. I thought he ran the ball really well. Uh, also running really well is like the third string running back Isaiah Bowser, who got 33 carries in like for 172 yards, and he was a pretty dominant back for UCF throughout the night. Uh, that's what Gus Malzahn wants, though he wants to be able to run downhill on you and mix in that uh, passing game when you get the chance. Uh, the defense itself really, I thought, had a, one bad stretch that game. I take out the pick six; that's 24 points. That was the other interception setup of short field for a touchdown. And most of the rest of Boise's points came when they had momentum in the first and early second quarter. Could tackle a little bit better, but I thought that we saw a vast improvement from last year's defense under Randy Shannon uh, to this year under uh, Williams. Uh, you know, I like the wide receiving group. I, I think there's a lot to like if you're a UCF fan. Is it perfect? Obviously not, but a lot to like. Gus Malzahn's amazing. He gave a good halftime speech, clearly. He made adjustments, and that's what you want in a, in a head coach. Yeah. So I was yeah. proud of him for how he cool. handled and not losing his when they were down by so much and playing terrible. Absolutely. And again, I think if Gabriel throws that ball as a lob instead of as a line drive into a corner's chest, then, you know, obviously that's a 14-point swing right there. Plus, momentum's completely different. I think it's a blowout if he doesn't throw that ball so poorly. I think you we'll never was, know. Of course, that's all speculation. <laughs> but like, you know, just right there, you turn that to 24 to basically like 43. My math is terrible. Like I've said a million times on the show. But yeah, like at that point, you're like, that's a pretty big spread of a game. You know, if he just throws that one ball right, let alone the momentum difference. Who knows? Anyways, let's just talk about what happened instead of what could have happened. <laughs> all right. You're going to get carried away with all these UCF scenarios. But what happened is they, they didn't uh, play how they next... needed to play. And then they did. So good. exactly. They won great, the game. It was a great comeback. It ended uh, like 2 a.m. because of the rain delay. Love the comeback. Yeah. Love the comeback. Now let's talk about another team that never got around to doing what they were supposed to do. And that's Temple, who lost yeah. 14 Rough. to 61 against, yeah. let me say that again, Rutgers scored 61 points I have beef with that because if you're a gentleman and a scholar of a team, which Rutgers should be, okay, they propose themselves to be, you great do not shot. run up. 61 points on a team okay 50 is the line everybody knows that so i'm upset does greg shiano propose to be a gentleman has he ever done the program does i don't know about greg shiano because we don't really know about him yet you know in this 
But I know the program proposes that and they say it very clearly in their game notes and on their website and everywhere. Uh, I've, that never, they are, I've never covered a Rutgers game in person, so I don't know what their game notes say. I'm, you can I'm, read the game notes online. You don't have to go in person. Oh, For everybody yeah. out there, you can go to yeah, the website. But I don't watch a lot of Rutgers game games, notes. to be honest. It's fair. I, I focus on what I focus on with college football. I, I watch the occasional Rutgers game. Uh, fun talking point here. Former UCF quarterback Noah Vedra was the Rutgers starter. So mm-hmm. I can get UCF into any conversation that we wanted to. <laughs> no, I'm going to stick to But you think here. it's okay for a team to do that? Like, are, you're on board depend- with... I think it depends on the circumstances. I think. So that- what did you feel about that circumstance? I don't think that they needed to because it's right. Temple and that's a G5 Power 5 matchup. That was what I was I think if it's, say. I think <laughs> if it... I, my, so if I think it's Cincinnati Temple, I think Cincinnati tries to put 100 on them. Because if you're Cincinnati, you are trying to get something across to the committee about how much better you are than the bottom of that conference. And that's all perception though. That's mm-hmm. not a, it is running up the score, but there's a reason behind it. No, I mean, Rutgers didn't need a couple extra points because Rutgers isn't going to be in that spot at the end of the year. No. You know, and even if they were. It's a non-conference points. game for them. It's really just to show case what they have, what the season's going to be like. It was unnecessary for I, them to score that many points. Yeah. Like I said, Temple me, lost their starting quarterback. You know, he was on crutches for Christ's sake. It's yeah. There was a lot that went wrong for Temple mm-hmm. that didn't really have anything to do with Rutgers. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and and that's really more of the concern is yeah. dealing uh, with that. Yeah. I mean, to play devil's advocate against your point, I don't entirely disagree with your point. Jimmy Johnson back in the uh, 80s at Miami used to say, well, it's a 60-minute game and we came out and played for 60 minutes just because you were done at 45 or whatever doesn't mean that we were. It's not that uh, you don't have to play. Blew, there's there's so many and, ways you can play without having to put up uh, 100 points on somebody. That doesn't mean that you're not playing I, the game. He So the when that quote, or which I misquoted, but it's similar to that. <laughs> that, that not a misquote, it's just a paraphrasing. Uh, but... Mm-hmm. That came out after he beat Jerry Faust in his last game at Notre Dame by about 100 points or something like that. He, well, what have we learned about Notre Dame and old coaches' quotes? What did we learn about that this weekend, Dan? The delivery is not always perfect. Mm, I Not a good idea, maybe. To, to I'm ta- I would steer clear. I, I'm not making a joke here, which Brian Kelly was trying to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for those who don't follow but it's Notre unclear. Dame, that quote. It's unclear. Brian Kelly makes that type of joke about once a month, and he's never quite landed them. It's just who he is. He's I didn't gonna... have a problem with what he said at all because I understood the context of it, it as a did a lot of people. But in this climate, you can't say things like that on national yeah. television. He, he, just he just stumbles over his jokes like that. Um, I lost my train of thought a little bit. Either oh, way, Rutgers no, versus Temple, not, not no, wait, I, I had something that actually goes mm-hmm. back to Brian Kelly. When Brian Kelly gets a big lead at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. he puts in the backups and what they do is they just run up the middle very casual like and kills the clock. And I don't always agree with that because mm-hmm. then if you're say you've got a quarterback who's a backup and he has to go into a game because of an injury, well, what if he's never actually thrown a ball in a game? I think that's a good opportunity for your backups to work on the offense against live action and live competition. Yeah, I but agree I think, with you. And the, don't get me wrong. You don't run the hurry up stuff. You don't right. necessarily stretch it downfield, but I do think to an extent you have to run your offense for 60 minutes. I think that's the right way to do it. Again, you can, but offense, offenses are so complex in this day and age with different plays, different packages. There are so many things that you can do, you know, that is working on your offense that isn't just running up the score to run up the score. So, yeah, I mean, I will the, never ever think that that's okay. And that's, and for the first three quarters of the game, let's focus on them and not the final score. <laughs> right. I thought 
Temple got physically bullied on the offensive line by Rutgers' mm-hmm. defensive line. I think that was the biggest issue that they had. Uh, wow. Dwan Mathis, uh, you mentioned on crutches that by the end of the game, mm-hmm. he struggled, and that's yeah. you know partially you know the fault of that offensive line, probably more than partially. Yeah, but it doesn't too many matter. mistakes, too many turnovers. It was just it was yeah, the, bad. The defense was in a position to fail all game. Yeah. Um, you have to go back to the drawing board if you're Rod Carey, and you you didn't want to have to do that. Akron game ne- one, but Akron next week is a game they should win. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is a game they should win. They should. Uh, we'll see because we'll see. You know, who knows? That was a really that was tough. It's demoralizing. You know it what is. I mean? And it's mentally they're kids. So yes, well, they're competitive athletes, but like you have to come back from that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You yeah. got to inspire confidence Did in your you kids. See, I don't know. Have you been seeing anything that's been happening to our old friend UConn? Yes, with their head coach, and yeah, he, so, just, he just resigned today, right? He's down. yeah. So yeah, and so for those who don't know, on Saturday UConn lost to Holy Cross out of the Patriot League. Yep. Uh, Holy Cross is a good FCS school. I want that on the record. They've been to the playoff the past couple. Yeah, of years. they are. They're good. They're very well coached by Bob Chesney, who I think should be a serious candidate for the UConn job now that that's open. But on Sunday, he announced that Randy Edsel announced that he was going to be resigning at the end of the year for retirement. The, yeah, that this was his last retiring. season. He was retiring. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit like George O'Leary in 2015 for UCF fans who remember how terrible that season was where the whole team quit and the coach quit. and It was just awful. A day later, they basically forced him out, and it was all background because the, how much the players did not like him and the way that he felt that they quit on that he quit on them and they had been quitting on him already. And you, if you're Rod Carey, you cannot let these players quit on you because then your job's already yeah. gone. And that's just, yeah. I think, a perfect example. Of, you can say, "I'm out the door at the end of the year," and if your players completely quit on you, it's you're out of the door way sooner than that. Yeah. And Rod Carey does have to be careful because that's the type of performance that leads to after the, after the way 2020 was for them. And I don't think he's that guy, like given his, who he surrounded himself with coaching staff wise and his previous team experiences mm -hmm. with teams. I think he can pull them out of it and inspire them and be that guy, but you're right. He's on the precipice and you need, they need to be careful. I I should be clear. Randy Etzel's the guy who's been phoning it in for five, six years now. (laughs) Like I, I've got no (laughs) kind words to say about Randy. Yeah. He was so good at UConn the first time he was there when he took them from at the time, one double a to one a now FBS and he got them to a Fiesta Bowl, and then he left for Maryland, failed at Maryland, and came back on, and just never cared once he got back. And that was just so obvious the whole time he's been there, back since like 2017 when he got back. That's why you don't rehire an old coach. It just is. You know, UMass We've seen to, a lot of that come back around. It's like a trend right yeah. now. UMass did it with Mark Whipple a couple of years, well, I guess more than a couple of years ago now, and he failed and had you know the embarrassment that that was after he won them an FCS National Championship. Uh, Brady mm-hmm. Hoke at San Diego State. They struggled with New Mexico State today. I, these rehash coaches, the second time around, is not always as comfortable as you want it to be. Oh my God! I was at Brady Hoke's last game at Michigan when they lost to Utah, and it was the saddest post game press conference I've ever been to. It was just 
Oh man. Woof. Tough times, tough I, times. Let's talk about I, something happy. Let's talk uh, about a game that an AAC team won. Okay, so the next on my list was actually Marshall Navy, so I can skip that and double back <laughs> if you want. Let's, let's let's do let's do a positive one. Let's talk about Memphis. Oh, you want to jump all the way up to Memphis? That yeah, was the last game I had on my list here. But yeah, let's wow. do Memphis. Uh, Nickel State 17, Memphis 42. It was Seth good. H- the freshman Seth Hennigan got the start because Grankinell had a I believe an undisclosed injury issue that yeah uh, we didn't really hear much about. The offense looked good. It clicked mm-hmm. right. I was happy to see that with a freshman quarterback and everything still clicked properly. I know it's an you know FCS opponent should be easy, but Tulsa showed you how that can sometimes not be easy. <laughs> yes, uh, they had a nice running complimentary running game which, which was is, incredible with brandon thomas love yeah, him that's what memphis is built on they need to have yeah. that complimentary running game other you know that's just what their program is built on the past decade yeah. good to see but he was impressive them. for a young for a young player so yeah no that offense that's a bunch of young guys right now and yeah. they all looked pretty good i was happy with what i saw from them uh yeah, that's a positive game to talk about. Were you uh, happy with the what I said with the defense would be improved? Did you like what you saw with some of the defense stuff? I'm not going to overreact to week one. I'm yeah. just asking. It's a it was simple, qu- simple it question, was, Dan. It was fine. I'm going to say okay. it again. It was an FCS opponent. They did what they were supposed to do. It was good to see them do what yes. they were supposed to do and take a care of A lot of people business. didn't do what they needed uh, to do, so it's nice to see a exactly. team take care of business. They've got Arkansas State next week on the road. I think that'll be a little bit of a better gauge as far as where that defense is at. But uh, I want to shout out freshman cornerback Greg Rubin. Two pass breakups. He looked incredibly sound back there. And, and you love to see so many young players actually stepping up and doing what they're supposed to do. So yeah, it was a fun game. Absolutely. Marshall 49, Navy seven. (laughs) I I love this game because I love Marshall, obviously. So like Mm -hmm. for me, it was, I I was happy, but you, it's tough. It's so tough for Navy nine sacks. Yeah. That offensive line is going to be a disaster. Also, It was hard to watch. And Uh, and I love Ken, their head coach. I can't say his last name, but Nia Matalolo. There you go. But so you want to see him do well. He's a nice guy and he's a good coach. And I'm wondering, Ken Nia Matalolo has been at Navy for like 15 years now. Long time. Yeah. You think this is the end? Well, the past, since they got to the American, really, they've had two great years. And those were years where they had generational quarterbacks in Malcolm Perry and Keenan Reynolds. When he hasn't had that in the American, it has been an abject, it's been a disaster each year that he hasn't had mm-hmm. a quarterback who's going to run for 2,000 yards and throw for another 1,000. Uh, I still think, I mean, I was a huge on Xavier Arline all the offseason. He was the leading rusher at quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, second leading thrower because they played like three quarterbacks throughout the course of this game, uh, bounced around between them. It was just bad. <laughs> yeah, that offensive I really... line, I don't know that anyone can succeed behind that offensive line as it was that game the defense mm-hmm. uh 49 points is more than the game really was there's a couple you know tough situations with special teams that led to that being a little bit of a bigger score than it maybe would have been but we're but still see how about... they stopped at 49 yeah that's a oh, classy move marshall can't embarrass the troops can't embarrass <laughs> the troops. i will say the one highlight for me was seeing jack langle there, you know, being honored, having, you know, been the famous coach that took Marshall and mm-hmm. basically saved the program after the yeah. plane crash and yeah, the Matthew devastating. Yeah. But the actual Jack Langle was there and he yeah. also served as athletic 
um, director for Navy. So he has ties to both schools. Mm-hmm. Very cool seeing him be honored and, and have all that tied together. So aside from the football, it was neat to see these two historical programs, you know, meet. So, yeah, I mean, and plus Navy got to enjoy a nice day outside. So there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, don't James, end on a negative. Don't uh, here. <laughs> James don't. Harris was the leading rusher at us, a fullback with 80 yards. There we go. With 80 yards. They've got yes. Air Force next week. That's the Commander in Chief's trophy. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see what happens there because talent wise, you're not going to have a defensive line that can run through you talent wise, just like abject athleticism. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see something interesting there, I am sure. Uh, let's get, rinse the mouth out just a little bit now. Miami of Ohio, 14, Cincinnati, 49. Desmond Ritter, I want to say this, on basically the first throw he had of the game, he immediately did the thing I've been asking for him to do for three, four years now, which is throw a damn deep ball. Nice. And he, it was a beautiful deep ball. There's no way around it. Desmond Ritter played fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he showed just how athletic he is and how good of a runner he is. Uh, He was incredibly accurate with the ball. Uh, Except for the one interception, but yes. Yes, that was a bad throw, but like, (laughs) he was 20 for 25. That's incredibly accurate. Of course he was good, but, but you have to always look for where you can be better. And I think that's the thing he's going to be focusing on heading out of it. Absolutely. uh, Agree with that. I mean, neat Cincinnati, their defensive line was suffocating in Mm -hmm. this game, which is exactly what you expect them to be. Uh, Jerome Ford and the rest of the running backs looked really good. It was the field was slanted in Cincinnati's direction all game. And they, they took care of business the exact way that they're supposed to against a Mac team, even a rival in the Mac who has been known to play them tough during the Luke Fickle era, though not really beat them. Just Cincinnati doing Cincinnati things. My only note that I put for this one, it was a great game. They held Miami to five of 15 on third down. And I thought I'm a big third down conversion mm-hmm. person. I think it's an important stat that it gets often overlooked and it's such a, a testament to grit and to toughness and to, you know, just being a team that can actually hold the line. And I thought that stat was really incredible to me. So, and apparently that's something they did last season in, in Mm -hmm. all the games, except for one or something like that. No, they're absolutely incredible at what they do on the defensive side of the ball. It's a new defense coordinator, same success that they have been having. That's really good to see. Uh, Yeah. I, they took care of business in a great way and Mm -hmm. had, they played Notre Dame this weekend. Had they been in something, they would have beaten Notre Dame. Because that Notre Dame team has issues. Interesting. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that, no, that Notre yeah. Dame team is not quite ready. This is the people. same story we have every time with Notre Dame, though. Like, I can't remember the last time where I was like, oh, Notre Dame doesn't have any issues. Like, <laughs> okay, so like, here's my one. But Notre Dame. Like, it would be back before Manti no- <laughs> So, oh, I mean, if you want to talk about not having any issues on team, the Charlie Weiss era is not the teams to be looking at. Maybe, maybe um, like way before that. I don't know yeah, the last Lou Holtz, time. I mean, Lou Holtz's era is the last time there's a Notre Dame team without issues. There we go. But <laughs> No, but Notre Dame just gets put under a super lens because of who they are and the fan base that it has. I don't think anyone who seriously covers Notre Dame came into this year predicting anything better than 10 and 2. Okay. And, you know, I still think that's very much in play. Because Jack yeah. Cohn, I'm, this is, as everyone knows, a Notre Dame podcast, but Jack Cohn looked very good for Notre Dame. The offense looked good. The offense line looked bad. You know what's funny, though, is it feels like they lost, even though they won the game. Oh. Well, McKenzie Milton <laughs> coming into that game was so yes. awesome of a moment. And yeah. it looked like he wasn't going to play. And it was just the simple luck of uh, Jordan Travis's helmet game knocked off where he came in and immediately said, here we go. 
And it was mm-hmm. like it was like nothing had happened for a second. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that was a good great it moment was, for you as well. It was just getting great, to see that. Yeah. It was a great moment for everyone, I think. But yeah, no, it was a completely great emotional moment. Uh, really threw me through a loop for who I'm rooting for, who I was rooting for that day. Um, <laughs> I wanted Florida State to win I, that game just because it would have been chaos. Milton, I, I would not have minded it for Milton. <laughs> I honest. actually really like Mike Norvell too. I think he's a really yeah. good coach, and I think it's it's important to know. Yeah, exactly. Memphis. And he was in the Pac-12 before that. And I've known him a long time. And I think the things he's done with that program are phenomenal. The the complete turnaround in culture, yeah. you know, and, and everyone that was questioning was good that. At, uh, Florida State yeah. this year, which hasn't, it hasn't been a while. The offensive line still, their offensive line is still a mess, but the rest of the team's a lot better. You can uh, tell that their, their values and, and their um, dedication to the game is just different than it used to be. So I like it. Absolutely. We have two more AAC yes. games to talk about. Don't end on a loss. You So, okay, I've got two more. <laughs> They're both from Texas. Yes. Who would, you want me to end on a, the win or end? Yeah, end on a win. because that'll Texas be good. Tech 38, Houston 21. This game was a rough. <laughs> what are we doing, Dana? What are we doing? I, I don't, I really What's going don't on, Dana? Know. I don't um, know. There was a fight in the stands, an epic fight. That makes, that makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Big 12 conference match meeting between Texas Tech and Houston, and Houston was outscored in the second half 31 to 0. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is, I put that squarely. Three on. second half picks. You oh. cannot be throwing that many no, in the no. second half when you're supposed to be working things out. <laughs> squarely on the coaching, because that means two teams went into the locker room at halftime and one mm-hmm. coaching staff made the proper adjustments and the other right. staff sat on their hands. Well, uh, and I think Dana Morrison really hurt himself when he, when he said rec tech earlier in the week. Oh yeah. Sometimes that tech. stuff is sometimes it, that's funny and it plays. And like, if you're the right coach, but like on, for the most internal. part, you I think you, yeah, I don't think you come out like that. Like when Ed Orgeron this weekend said, you know, called the UCLA sissy blue shirts. Why are you doing that? And before the game, that, like that is that's the second time Orgeron's done that to himself against UCLA because yeah. he was the head coach at USC or interim head coach, whatever yes. he was. He said, We're gonna let them into the call scene, we're gonna lock them in with us, and then they can't leave or whatever, you know, nonsense. That wasn't a good or it just never course. really I goes well occasion. for uh, coaches when they do that. So no, it, again, if you say something like that, you need to keep it internal to the players. You can't let that become a media quote mm-hmm. because you just look there's no good outcome as a head coach. You win and you go, all right, whatever. He was just talking to his players. You right. lose and you're a laughing stock for the next until you fix it. Uh, but yeah. My favorite, I have an example of that really quickly. Um, when I covered Ole Miss and Cal two years ago, Cal upset Ole Miss, you know, at in Ole Miss in Oxford. And I learned later that they had taped up a quote from Matt Coral at he had talked about how California players are weak like because soft they do, or whatever thing soft because yeah, they don't deal with the weather like they do in the South. And oh, yeah. I learned from their athletic director that they taped that up in the locker room, but they didn't talk about it. They didn't, the, the media didn't know. We had no idea until later that that had driven them and they used that as kind of fuel. And then they did beat them. So I think that's a good example of using smack talking from the other team and like keeping it internal. You know, I, I had another thing that Dana said after the game that really <laughs> oh, no. bothered me. And he said that he doesn't, and this is a paraphrase. I want to point that out there. I don't have the exact uh-huh. word down, but he said that they don't at Houston have five capable offensive linemen. Whose fault is that, Dana? He said that? Uh, that I paraphrased. He said something that. like that? Wow. He basically said that right now the offensive line is not good enough. We don't have five guys. So he's Who's, throwing Brandon Jones under the bus? Whose really? fault is that, Dana? 
Whose fault Jeez. is it that you don't have five offensive linemen in year three in a world where the transfer portal exists? Whose fault is it? It's yeah. your fault, Dana. It's yes. yours. It is. You know, why is Clayton Toon throwing four interceptions where he's forcing the ball into places and still making bad decisions? Because he's not getting coached well. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. Some guys have a certain ceiling, but the fact that he can't improve on that or you can't find someone else who's better than four interceptions in a game is on you, Dana. Yeah. This is the University of Houston. They should be one of the top two or three teams in this conference every year. Yeah. And at some point, you just need to look internally and stop blaming the roster that you have. You could blame it when you first got there because Major Applewhite did leave a mess. But Major yeah. Applewhite also left Tierra King for you. And you mm-hmm. butchered that. And too. you couldn't keep him. Yeah. And that's that speaks to a bigger problem. If you've got so many guys leaving and having issues with there is it's a mess there. And I had said that I was confident they were going to resolve it. I I'm, I thought I thought this was an obvious win for them because uh, Texas Tech has a lot of issues too. Yeah, that's something that we didn't even touch on here. Texas Tech is the job that everyone's looking at as the current Big Twelve teams is like. Yeah, that job will open up because that coaching staff is not Power Five level coaching staff, mm-hmm. and that's they just beat you by seventeen. I know <laughs> that one of those touchdowns was garbage time, but they just beat you by seventeen. Yeah, it was. Nathaniel Dell looked really good. That's a bright spot for the, the uh, for the offense. But other than that, there, yeah, was, there was just nothing. It was bad. You know, uh, Not good. Ending on that one, you want to end on Abilene yes. Christian 9, SMU 56. <laughs> Tanner Mordecai threw seven touchdown passes and mm-hmm. absolutely took care of business. I think that we know exactly who Tanner Mordecai is. Mm-hmm. I know it's Abilene Christian. He's a dude. Uh, they play North Texas next week. It'll be nice to see the defense get tested by an FBS uh, opponent yeah. rather than FCS one, because that's, I think, my bigger question about the team is how yeah. that defense holds up under, you know, they've got Jim Lovett at, or at a DC now. And I love not, Jim Lovett. I know you do. He's so great. <laughs> but um, He's such a positive person. I love being around him. That's why. But. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I love all these I'm Texas like, games against Texas teams in, in so early. It's got to do, do wonders yeah, this, for recruiting. And it's Houston awesome. plays Houston's at Rice next week. That's a great. Yeah, thing. that's right. You know, We're going to talk about that. I think it's so great for the school and the program because yeah. then they helps with recruiting and in-state stuff. So it, it's absolutely good to see you play in-state games. That's why, like, I know I'm again, I'm going to bring it back to UCF, but like, it's easy for me as an example sometimes. Mm-hmm. A lot of UCF fans get annoyed when they play FAU or FIU, but I like those games. Those are good, you know, home and homes to have against someone from your state. The travel's not bad. You get to go down to South Florida and recruit a little bit. Yeah. It's not a bad situation to have. Um, you know, anyways, this game <laughs> itself, an absolute taking care of business, doing what you're yep. supposed to do as a top three team in the conference. Uh, interesting enough that the quarterback who replaced Mordecai was Derek Green, not Preston Stone. I think mm-hmm. that would have surprised a lot of people. They would have assumed Stone, the uh, highly touted freshman recruit, would be the backup. It appears he's not the uh, second string quarterback on that roster. Other than that, we'll learn more about SMU next week when they play an FBS team. But for right now, they're exactly who we want them to be. Yep. It's good. Conference went four and seven for That's the weekend. Our, that, that, not, <laughs> not great. Not great. But the four wins that there were were great wins. So, yeah. well. It was a bad weekend. Looking ahead, I think next weekend's a little bit better, but yeah, you know, hard to say. We'll have a review, or I guess a preview. This was mm-hmm. the review. Yeah. We will have a preview out uh, in a couple of days after this review comes out. There, I know my words uh, for <laughs> next week's games. Uh, but for now, you can find me at Dan underscore Morrison ninety six, and you are at M L M M L M E M I L N E M. At some point, I'm just going to need to like 
write it on my hand. I can get started. I'll just say. <laughs> yeah, MLM. I, I know what it looks like. I just, mm-hmm. the tongue doesn't have it quite right. But yes, until then, we are off.